brought to you by CGTN Europe. I'm Stephen Cole. Welcome to the Agenda podcast. The latest predictions suggest that without a complete change in our relationship with plastics, by 2050, there'll be more of it in our seas than there are fish. And with the COVID-19 pandemic bringing with it the need to dispose of more than 100 billion face masks and over 60 billion pairs of plastic gloves, we might be back to square one in dealing with our plastic problem. First on this episode of the Agenda podcast, we talk to Dr. Costas Vellis from Leeds University. Dr. Vellis is one of the lead investigators on a report that shows how we can cut the amount of plastic flowing into our oceans. Dr. Vellis, your new modelling system allows us to have a far clearer picture of the sources of plastic pollution and, of course, where it ends up. But will that help us to reduce the amount of plastic waste? There is always a distance between uh, theoretical calculations and action in this world. However, with the benefit of the model we have produced and the calculations we have performed and the results we have at hand, we have now the possibility to uh, understand the magnitude of the challenge which hopefully will urge us to act in an immediate, concerted and decisive manner. Of course, it's down to the governments, it's down to the companies, it's down to the institutions, but also to individuals to to act. So uh, I don't know is the honest answer, but I have high hopes that we are in better position now to act than we were before the release of this study. But your report suggests no single solution can work. So what do we need to do? What is, is there a single way, a, the strongest way we can move forward to reduce waste? So we need a combination, we need a whole suite of solutions that should put in place in parallel in order to uh, massively mitigate the amount of plastic pollution. And let me explain where these could be starting from circular economy solutions, uh, so producing uh, less plastic in the very first place, replacing it with other materials, although this poses a lot of wider sustainability questions there, and eventually uh, delivering waste collection to the two billion people, fellow uh, humans, fellow citizens of this planet where uh, whose waste is not collected, recycling far more safely disposing of the material that we cannot economically and technically recycle. So a totally um, new systemic change. But how is that going to be put in place? Indeed, we we need a systemic change. And indeed, it's not going to be easy because it requires um, major uh, uh, change in the way we uh, produce, we consume, and we return... um, what we would used to call waste, and now we try to think of after-use resources, back into the economy in a way that is both um, technically and economically feasible. Let me give you a couple of examples there of the level of innovation, the type of innovation uh, that we would need. For example, when it comes to plastics, we have to redesign the plastics, the materials and the products from the very first stage with... uh, in mind they're recycling, they're returning back into the economy for multiple material cycles. 
But there is also social innovation or there is action for the government's legal and other type of action. For example, um, uh, the, the uh, informal recycling sector, the waste pickers, these are the unsung heroes of circular economy of the global south. They're often prosecuted or ignored at best by the governments. Still, they're saving so much plastic from becoming plastic uh, pollution. When, when you talked earlier about um, what needs to be done and you, like most people, say, well, governments need to work harder at this. But it's not just governments, is it? There's, it's governments, it's big business, it's people like you and I. We all have to work together uh, in this war on plastic pollution. But when you're compiling your report, do you see a will to do that? It's an issue of action at multiple levels and we all see our responsibility um, and uh, however, uh, the, the, the ability to act and the results of our actions are, are, are different for, for, for different actors and stakeholders. That has to be made absolutely clear and all the efforts should be transferred to individuals or to governments or to the industry or to academics. So I would say we see an action from all stakeholders. Uh, it is um, up to the level that we need uh, in some sense, no, it is not. And that's why um, our effort uh, uh, and our results there ring a bell that, look, we know it's a problem. We know it's a massive global challenge. Um, we're not doing enough at the moment. And the business as usual, even with the existing uh, commitments, is not good enough to uh, mitigate the problem. How do you measure a year? As a song sings in daylight, in sunsets, in cups of coffee. Here on A Thousand Wise, we measure a year in seasons. A program where we proudly present to you our delicate selection of how Chinese culture is incorporated into people's lives with the change of seasons. Discover the stories, delicacies, nature, ceremony, festivals, and a whole lot more while hearing how they are in sync with that particular season. And beyond that, Take with you a bit of wisdom and a philosophy that resounds season in and season out. Subscribe to A Thousand Wise for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcast. The recycling of existing plastics is, of course, key to the future of our planet. But with a recent report suggesting nearly a third of the plastic exported for recycling from Europe every year ends up in landfill rather than being recycled, well, that means there's clearly a long way to go. Joining me now from Vancouver in Canada is a man hoping to help with that process, David Katz. Uh, David is the chief executive of Plastic Bank. Um, David Katz, you are the founder, described as a compassionate entrepreneur. What does Plastic Bank do? You know, we have to recognize not only is recycling critically important for the world, but most of the world doesn't have access to recycling. Um, set aside what is being exported around the world. The rest of the developing world, the billions of people can't even dream of the idea of recycling, nor would they. And we're focused on stopping plastic from entering the ocean. It's one thing to go and try to clean it, which is futile. Or what we can do is prohibit it from entering the ocean. What we've done is we've created a global chain of stores for the poor, for the ultra poor, under $2 a day. Or everything in this store can be purchased using plastic garbage. 
You see, it's garbage is money, Stephen. It's it's access to school tuition, medical insurance, Wi-Fi, cooking fuel, groceries, everything the poor truly need now available using the garbage that all of us have in the past put in the bin, but now returned for recycling. And that material we collect, we sell to great companies like Henkel, M&S in the past, and others. They use it back into their packaging, really creating a, a spot for the circular economy. Whereabouts in the world are you mainly operating so far? Well, we began in, we began in Haiti, which is a crazy place to, to start any business, the most impoverished community um, country in the, in the Western Hemisphere. And from there, we went to the Philippines, and then we went to uh, Indonesia and Brazil, and uh, then Egypt, and now we're just moving into Vietnam, and we've made some commitments into Cameroon. And uh, from Cameroon, we, we see an opportunity moving into Thailand. Uh, you know, the whole world needs us. It's a little difficult to even choose where to go, um, but there's dire need wherever there's poverty and material entering the ocean is where we need to be. I mean, we have to be around the world, truly. Why, why are you doing this, David? This is a job for governments, isn't it? Wouldn't you think so? We would hope that this idea, this economic opportunity, this lift that's created in societies would be something that, that people would be thinking of. But look at Haiti. It's such an impoverished community. They don't have enough money for clean water or food. The last thing that they're thinking about is recycling. Even the solid waste is basically a truck with guys with shovels that go through the streets. It seems to be an endeavor that is hard to tackle for some, but private business, social enterprise, ones with soul, ones with the knowing that the more abundance they create for the world, the more that they can create for themselves as well. That's what we're doing. We can't wait for government. None of us can wait for anything. I mean, what <laughs> the ocean can't wait, that's for sure. And so there's immediacy. And we would hope that government at some point would begin doing what we do as well. How, how super important. Everyone, everyone needs to be a part of the solution and not the pollution, Stephen. Do you think we'll ever reach a point where we'll ever have a, a real a secular plastic waste-free economy? And if we don't in the near future, what's going to happen? We're, we're powerfully are going to have a world not without plastic as many people want, but we would definitely have a world without waste. That certainly is occurring. And if I, if I, what I am witnessing is the regenerative economy, the regenerative society, where organizations today who really truly want to powerfully compete, see the blue ocean strategy, pardon the pun, is of that of regeneration. The organizations that are going to win are going to be the ones that aren't just talking sustainability in the conversation of, I'll do less damage this year than last year. But the ones that will win are the ones that are coming forward to say, I'm going to repair the damage that's been done. Not only am I going to repair the damage that's been done, but I'll repair the damage that my competitors have done as well. Regeneration is what's occurring. Circularity is what's occurring. And I know that at some time in the future, the conversation of taking our stuff out to the curb where it goes out to a landfill, that's, that's, that's done. So, if you're not a scientist or plastics developer and still want to be a part of the war on plastic, where do you start? Well, to answer that, 
I'm joined now by Emily Penn, the founder of EXXPedition, a company that organizes all-female trips to explore the impact of plastics on our seas. Um, Emily, first of all, what sparked your interest in the campaign against plastic? I was actually on my way from England to Australia for a new job as an architect. And I decided I wanted to get there without taking an aeroplane. So I took a boat across the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans. And along the way, started to see plastic in the most remote part of our planet. Um, in particular, one morning when I jumped off the boat to go for a morning wash in the water, um, I found a toothbrush just floating by. Oh, and it just horrible. didn't any sense. But then you decided to form this expedition, didn't you? Absolutely. There's so little we know about our planet and the fact that ocean covers 70% of our Earth. And, you know, we need to get out there and understand what's going on. So at the moment, we are sailing around the world and we have 300 women joining us over the two-year project. And we'll be going out to collect scientific samples to really understand what plastic is getting out there and then ultimately how we can prevent it getting there in the first place. And you started um, an online expedition, so to speak, called SHIFT, is it? What do, what do you hope to achieve with that? What is it? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, of course, we are currently landbound um, because of the coronavirus crisis. You know, we are um, unable to carry on with our sailing. So we've moved our impact making virtually uh, and we've built this platform. It's all about helping people solve this plastics issue because we realise that we all have an opportunity to do something. We all have a different, unique skill set. And it's a case of working out what role we can play in tackling the problem. And this website helps you navigate that process um, to find the solution that's most appropriate for you. You've got, as you said, 300 envoys, if you like, ambassadors against plastic. But what do you hope to achieve, really, with, with Shift? And what kind of pickup have you had from people so far? Yeah, it's been amazing so far. I think there's so many people out there who want to do something. They get that there's a problem in the ocean of plastic and they're saying, OK, well, I want to help, but I don't really know where to start. And so what we found is that if you can help people navigate that process, you have much better action and uptake in the end. And also that there's not one solution. There are hundreds. And that's the good news. You just need to be able to be working on your own piece. And so by having these 300 ambassadors, they all come from all over the world and from all different backgrounds and sectors. Um, but by all working on their piece together, um, then we can really solve the problem. So what should I and others be doing when we see plastic or buying anything in shops? What's your advice? So the first thing we can all do is try to eliminate single-use plastic. It's that plastic that's in our lives for maybe just an hour or a day. And it's plastic that we can really live without. So something like a plastic bag or a water bottle or certain types of packaging that you can actually buy food and produce without the plastic packaging. So avoid it as much as you can and then start thinking about what bigger thing can I do? How can I influence the community that I live in or the household that I run or the school that my kids go to and, and look at where larger impacts can be made as well so that you can help others around you make a change? But that's difficult, isn't it? Because a lot of people don't have that much choice 
um, especially poorer countries, and they find plastic uh, the most convenient way of usage. That's absolutely right. And I certainly saw it when I sailed across the Pacific Ocean and we stopped at these islands. And we found that locals there were actually relying on importing packaged food and drink to be able to survive. And of course, it all comes wrapped in plastic and there's not really any other option at the moment. And um, so it is really important that we also work with industry with businesses and also the government on legislation on saying what other options have we got and how can we change our packaging and change our systems and our way of doing things and um, so that then we do have options all over the world. That brings us to the end of another edition of The Agenda. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify. You can also find us on CGTN Europe, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. The most interesting questions. Are there other living beings beyond Earth? Will man or machine be in charge? Great question. Always have more than one answer. Well, hold on. Uh, let me just draw up a list. And always come from more than one person. That's where the credibility lies. The concept of having a machinery which is alive and evolving didn't wait for us. The end of inequality of incomes and wealth around the world. Can you imagine how difficult that is at the moment to achieve? Every episode, Stephen Cole, Murray Beveridge, and some of the brightest minds out there shed light on the answers to some of the most intriguing questions. There are two ways of looking at this. Machines can't really discriminate between civilian and military targets. The Answers Project. Maybe we need to just look at this in a bit more detail. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. The Answers Project, a new podcast from CGTN Europe.